You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. For everyone in this building, for those that are online, it's a good day to be able to get together. Hey, just a, a few moments I want to uh, share with you for, uh, for Ryan and Sabrina. Be praying for them. They're going to be inviting and welcoming a new baby this coming week into their family. So we want to pray for that healthy delivery, that baby. So we're so thankful for that. We really are. Also, just want to thank Cody and the worship team. I don't know if you know this, but Cody came down with laryngitis last night, and boy, did they pivot. Was that a good thing to do? They did a good job, and uh, those things happen. They really do happen. So we're thankful for our team and really thankful for you. What a blessing. Well, this morning, we're going to begin our deep dive into the wonderful book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can open to the book of Acts. We have <clears throat> blue Bibles that are around this building. We'll also have the scripture on the overhead. I think for uh, many believers, there are two New Testament books that are considered the most intriguing, and you probably may have figured that out already. One is the book of Revelation, and the other is the book of Acts. So when we talk about those that are most interesting, those ones, uh, books, those books that we want to dive into, those are usually the two books, and for different reasons, we study them. In my experience, when it comes to the book of Acts, the reasons usually have to do with the dynamic work of God's Holy Spirit concerning the supernatural interaction that God has with his people. And really, the bottom line is that God wants to be with you, that God wants to have a relationship with you. And so when I read the book of Acts, that's center and the centerpiece of my thinking is that Jesus wants to be with his people. When you read the book of Acts, you recognize that there are so many miracles that are recorded. Miracles, numerous miracles, <clears throat> along with the amazing works of God's Spirit in other ways. But here's what we can't lose in the process of studying this book. And I, I just want to make a point. I want to emphasize this. We cannot lose the personal work that God wants to do in your life. That what he wants to do in our lives is outstanding. The miracle of changed lives. The transforming work of God's Holy Spirit in every single person's heart. And how much God cares for you. And how much your relationship with him matters. And where does that begin? <clears throat> well, it begins with the greatest miracle of all. And that's the personal salvation that Jesus offers all who call on his name. Those who are lost. Those who are broken. Those who confess that they need help. There's never a time that Jesus will deny you. There's never a time that he'll stay away. And how he does this is amazing because he never grows weary of seeking you out. He never grows weary of coming your way. You know, the Lord has this infinite tenacity to come after those that are lost, to seek and save, the Bible says, those that are lost. So he never tires of hearing your confession, of your repentance, Wherever you might be, whatever is going on in your life, this is really, when I read the book of Acts, this is really what means the most to me. So why does God do this? Why does he seek us out? Why is he always after us and, and convicting us of our sin and, and inviting us to confess and repent? Well, the answer is found in a simple passage of scripture. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. That means that every good thing, every spiritual gift, every fruit of God's spirit has one goal, one purpose in the heart of God, and that's to save and restore those 
that know they can't help themselves. You see, I want to be in a place always in my relationship with Jesus Christ where I know that I am dependent on God's Holy Spirit. That every step, every move, every decision that I make, I want to rely on the Spirit of God in my life. So that the, the decisions, the choices I make always glorify Jesus Christ. And when we can pray that, and we can also pray that for others, so that others would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the only one person who can make all of this happen, who can bring salvation to us, who can save us, who can restore us. It's not our religion. It's not our politics. It's not even our good works. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is absolutely free. Discipleship is not. Discipleship will cost you your life. Jesus says this. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. So what he's saying to us is by the power of his Holy Spirit, we enter a discipleship model. We enter a framework that is different than we've ever experienced before. Without the Holy Spirit, salvation is unattainable. Without the Holy Spirit, discipleship is impossible. You see, the free gift of salvation is lived out in the hearts and lives of God's people through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's how we come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer this morning, you're listening to this message, you came to faith because of God's Holy Spirit. He led you to a place where you knew that you were needy, where you knew you were absolutely dependent on Him. And it was in that place that you confessed your sin. It was in that place that you repented. It was in that place that God brought salvation to your heart and your life. Uh, this last Tuesday, I was in, invited into a friend's house, and, and I want to introduce those friends to you, Leanne and Tony. Um, can you guys hear me on that? Yeah, there, it sounds like I got an echo there. This is Leanne, oh, Leanne and Tony, right there. Leanne, Tony, and Jeff. And so I want you to, I just wanted you to meet them. Some of you know those three. They're part of our fellowship here at the church. <clears throat> but what happened was that Tony invited me in uh, to share Jesus Christ with him. Uh, Tony was diagnosed with ALS about four years ago uh, and struggled through that disease. They are beautiful people. Jeff is there helping Tony as well. And so I had this wonderful opportunity uh, to go into their home. Tony and Leanne were here during our Easter service. They saw their friend Jeff baptized. And so Tony invited me in. We shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tony came to faith in Jesus Christ. He confessed Jesus. He repented of his sins. He, he did. He really did. What a beautiful thing. And so what we were able to do um, right after his salvation, right after he came to faith in Jesus, is we did a water baptism <laughs> right in his house. And, and this is what it looked like. We recorded it. So we wanted to show you uh, what that water baptism looked like. So go ahead and roll that. In the, in, the, in the world that there isn't water. And yet people come to faith in Jesus like you did. Mm -hmm. What do they use? What do they do? They use sand. They use dirt. It is, it is still, it's an immersion and it represents dying to self, living to Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. And Tony, that's what you've done. You said the old is gone, the new has come in Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And so, man, I get to do this. What a great thing. I'm going to pour this on your head, okay? Okay. I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father 
and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ah. Amen. 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 Now, now we've got to end with a kiss, if that's okay. <laughs> Man, Tony. Wow. What a beautiful thing, isn't it? That God meets us right where we are. That he wants to bring everyone to his son, Jesus Christ. And that is the power and the work of God's Holy Spirit. God is up to things in your life. He's working in you. He's working in this community. He's bringing salvation. People are wanting to be baptized. That's why we're going to have a water baptism on September 17th. So if you missed Easter baptism, sign up for September 17th because we're going to have water baptism here in this place. You know what I want to do right now? <clears throat> I want us just to bow our head just for a moment. And I want to pray for the hearts that are seeking, the hearts that are empty, the hearts that are hungry, that want to and have a desire to know Jesus Christ. Whether you're listening in this room or you're online, we want to introduce you and invite you into a relationship with Jesus. Father, I just pray for those that have hungry hearts today, that they're seeking you. Their hearts are empty. They feel that something's missing. And Lord, you're that missing piece. So Father, I ask in Jesus' name, that those that are hearing the message, the good news of Jesus Christ, that they would not hesitate, but they would come to faith in you by confessing their sins, by coming to you, acknowledging that you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, inviting them into your life. <clears throat> in the name of Jesus, we pray. And what do we say? We say, amen. <clears throat> say amen. Give it another applause to that. Would you do that? <clears throat> amen. <clears throat> I don't know if you identify with this. Um, there's something that really, really bugs me every now and again. It's when Annette and I start watching a movie uh, or a TV series, and we obviously don't know the ending. We don't know where the movie's going. But what we do is we fall in love with the characters. We fall in love with the storyline, and we're really bought in. Uh, we, we're, we're, we're wanting to see where this is all going to end, and it gets to the very end of the movie, and there's those three hated, dreaded words, to be continued. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, that used to really be bad when I was growing up because when it said to be continued, it usually meant you had to wait at least a week and probably a year for it to be continued. Today, we just punch a fast forward button and, and we're there. We're right there. So we don't, we don't have to wait as much. This happened to me the other day. I was watching a docu-series, something that was happening in the 1920s and 30s, and uh, watched the whole season. I mean, I think there were eight episodes. Got to the very end and there was this thriller I mean, it was a suspenseful drama, and there was this uh, who, big who done it at the very end. You never found out who it was, and you never will find out who it was, because they decided not to renew the second season. <laughs> Tell you what, I went away totally disappointed. I did. I thought, how can you do this to people? This is unfair. This is a horrible treatment of my curiosity. I want to know who did it, and I don't know if we'll ever know. Now, if you don't know any better, you could probably feel that this is what happened and what could happen when you read the Gospels. When you read the Gospels, what we recognize, and the Gospel gives an account, it introduces us to Jesus the Messiah, who was predicted in the Old Testament. He's the main character in the Gospels. We see the promises of the Old Testament being fulfilled before our very eyes. We see what Jesus does. We hear what Jesus says. The main character is crucified. He rises again on the third day. It's so awesome when we read this story, but then he just leaves. 
I mean, what the gospel does is we recognize that he ascends into heaven, and that's pretty much the way the gospel closes. He vanishes. He's gone. The end. And we're left. If it was only the gospels, we're left to think, what happened? I mean, what's going to happen after that? What do we do now? Where are we going? Well, we're all glad and we all are happy to know that we have the book of Acts. This is the book of Acts that we're going to be studying because Acts is actually the sequel to the Gospels, specifically the sequel of the Gospel Luke, because Luke wrote both. Volume 1 is the Gospel of Acts. Volume two, or vo volume 1 is the Gospel of Luke. Volume 2 is the book of Acts. So what we have is we have this beautiful compilation of what has come together, a gospel, and when it ends, Jesus ascends, but we know what takes place after that. We know where the church is moving. We, we know where God's Holy Spirit is taking people because Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes the details. In the book of Acts, he tells us what the early church looks like. He tells us how the early church develops. And if it weren't for the Dr. Luke that we know of, that we see here, the Dr. Luke that we're so thankful for, we might not have the book of Acts. So we read in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In my former book, he's speaking of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do to teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now here it is. The book of Acts is the sequel to the gospel of Luke. Now notice who he's writing to. He's writing to a man named Theophilus. It's good for us to know who this man is. He's writing to Theophilus. He's referring to Theophilus, not only here in this passage of Scripture, but he refers to Theophilus in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So if you want to go back and look in that passage of Scripture, you see that same name come up. Now, the name Theophilus means this. It means lover of God or someone who loves God. A lot of theologians have gone over this. They've looked at it. They've analyzed it. Some theologians believe that's just all lovers of God. Anyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ is a lover of God. I think that's good. I think you can apply that here. It's a wonderful way to look at the, the, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. But it goes even deeper than that because Theophilus is actually a real person. The way that it's written in the Greek tells us that Theophilus is a real, breathing, live person. So when we hear the name Theophilus, we know it's a person. So we believe Theophilus was a really wealthy man. And uh, back in the day during the Roman Empire, uh, wealthy people had slaves. What we may not know is there were caste systems in uh, those households of wealthy people. Many households of the wealthy had their own personal physician. This is who we believe Dr. Luke was bound to. He was bound to Theophilus. But something amazing happens to Theophilus. Theophilus gets saved. He comes to faith in Jesus Christ. He, he sees his, his buddy, his friend, his doctor, who does the same thing. He comes to faith in Jesus Christ. So what does he do? He releases Luke to follow the Apostle Paul. And so Luke follows the Apostle Paul, and he takes notes. He writes the Gospel of Luke, and then he writes the book of Acts. Now, where do we see that? We see that in Acts chapter 16. You're going to notice an interesting change, a dynamic that changes in the book of Acts once you get there. And we'll get there in a few weeks. Something happens that indicates to us that now Luke is part of the entourage of the Apostle Paul. 
because up to Acts chapter 16, everyone is referred to as they. And they went here, and they went there, and they did this, and they did that. And then there's this story about the Apostle Paul, who has a dream of a man from Macedonia, remember the dream, beckoning him to come. And that means come into Europe now. The gospel has not got to Europe yet. And so there's a man in a dream asking Paul to please come to Macedonia. Many scholars believe that that is Dr. Luke, asking him to come, because after that dream, the word changes from they to we. It says, and we went here, and we went there, and we traveled together. So now you have a first-person look at what's happening in the journeys of the Apostle Paul because Luke joined them. Thankfully, there was someone who released him, someone who wanted to keep account, and that is Theophilus. Theophilus wanted to know more about Jesus Christ wanted to know more about the journeys of the Apostle Paul. And so when Dr. Luke is writing his gospel, one thing that you want to do, and maybe you'll do this as homework when you go home, read the miracles. <clears throat> read the miracles in the gospel of Luke, because this is what you're going to find out. You're going to find out that the miracles in the gospel of Luke are different than the miracles that are stated in Matthew, Mark, and John. The reason why? Luke pays close attention to the interaction, the physical changes that takes place in the one being healed. Why? He's a doctor. And even reading this, and scholars will say, reading the Gospel of Luke is a roller coaster ride because the intricacies of the Greek language are so complex when Luke is writing. Luke is wanting you to know the miracles of Jesus Christ seen in healing are incredible. That's what he wants you to know. So he gives you detail about those particular miracles. Now, what I want to do with you just for a moment, I want to set the stage and look at the first eight verses in Acts chapter 1. It says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, all, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while they were eating together, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father's promise to you, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. <laughs> that is one of my most favorite passages in all the Bible. What we're having here is something put before us where we're given this commission by Jesus himself recorded by Luke to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now go back to Verse 1, just for a moment, look at verse 1. There's a key word used here. It's the word began. You see, Luke is writing this, and he's telling us that 
it began, the works of Jesus began through the Gospels. He's referring back to the gospel that he had written. So when we look at this, this tells us that the work of Jesus was not over. In the gospel of Luke is what Jesus began. And now in the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do to teach. But now and how does he do that? Well, Jesus is gone. He's not here anymore. He's left. He's gone to heaven. The answer is this. It's through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised the disciples. Remember in some of the conversations that Jesus had with the disciples, especially in the Gospel of John? He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to give you the promised gift of my Holy Spirit. He is going to be your helper. He will be your counselor. He will be your comforter. Who is that? It's the Holy Spirit. So that means the book of Acts is not a closed book as well. When we get to chapter 28, which is the last chapter in the book of Acts, the work of the Holy Spirit is still going on. The work of the Holy Spirit is going on today in your life, this very moment. Do you know how Jesus, and you know how Jesus tells you and communicates to you that he's alive and well? It's through the Holy Spirit. It's when you feel that conviction of sin, that's God's Holy Spirit. When you have a word, maybe to share to someone else, just something that's come across your mind and you share that. Or when you have somebody's name out of nowhere drop into your heart and you pray for them, what work is that? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is leading us. He's guiding us. I love this because he's working right now, this very moment, in our hearts, in this room. I don't know what God's saying to you and his Holy Spirit is speaking to you personally, but you know that if you pay attention, if you listen, there's going to be good things that happen when you're obedient to the voice and the direction of God's Spirit in your life. I love the fact that the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do. He continues to teach through the apostles empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that this book is labeled the Acts of the Apostles. It would be just as appropriate to label it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So either title you want to use, I think the authors would be just fine. I don't think we're going to get any copy, copyright violation. I don't think that's going to happen. But I love to refer to this book as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So the finished work of Jesus was on the cross. Remember that. The unfinished work of Jesus continues generation after generation after generation. That he's still working today. And you hear the phrase around this place, we're about making disciples who make disciples. We want to see the work of Jesus Christ, empowered by God's Holy Spirit, to continue to grow us and continue to reproduce disciples that will follow Jesus with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Jesus does this. He spends 40 days after his resurrection. The Bible says that he, he, he walked around. He spent time with others. It says that about 500 people witnessed that he was, he was on earth after his resurrection for 40 days. I think that 40 days is always interesting to me. I think the, the number 40 is always interesting in the Bible because when you look at this, Jesus begins his ministry by doing what? Spending 40 days fasting and praying and confronting Satan in the wilderness. So it begins with 40 days and then it ends. His ministry on this earth ends with 40 days. What's he doing? He's instructing, he's teaching He's, he's talking to us, teaching us about the promised gift of God's 
Holy Spirit. He's preparing us for what's to come. He's preparing us for his absence and the presence of God's Holy Spirit. Now, do you remember the command that Jesus gave here? He gives his disciples before he sends into heaven, wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, this is key. It's so important for all of us to just read. Remember that command, wait for the Holy Spirit. You see that in verses 4 and 5. For just a moment, I want you to do this. Put yourself in the sandals of the disciples. Just, just imagine you're a disciple. You're sitting there. You're following Jesus. You've been with him for three and a half years. Now, after his resurrection, you're with him for 40 days. You're witnessing everything that he's doing and, and, and watching, seeing, being a witness of the works of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says, go into all the world. You are fired up. You are ready to go. You're ready to conquer. Your zeal is overflowing. And then Jesus says to you, now wait. That has to be pretty frustrating. I mean, given your own strength, your own enthusiasm, <laughs> your own excitement. I mean, Jesus is revving the engine, and now he says to you, you need to wait. <laughs> I would be thinking to myself, what's he talking about? Why, why do we have to wait? We've been waiting. That's all we've been doing. But God is always in the business of doing good things while we wait. He has a reason for us waiting. Did you know that waiting always happens before a promise is fulfilled? And do you know that those promises are life-changing promises? That God will say, I want you to wait because what I have to give to you will radically change your life. It'll radically change the life of those around you. It may even radically change the world as this waiting did for the disciples. Think about waiting in your own life. Maybe there was a period in your life or a few periods in your life where God said, I want you to wait. And then you experienced this wonderful fruit of promise that followed that waiting. I remember when I was in my early 20s, the Lord told me to wait. He told me to wait because he had a gift he wanted to give to me, and it was my wife. And this was before I even met her. And it was while I was waiting that I met her, and that promise came to fruition, and it changed my life. Before we came here, the Lord said, wait. Wait, I have a place for you to go. I have a place for you to serve. I have a place for you to minister. You know, it was about a 10-year waiting period before we arrived here. We waited, and we waited, and we waited some more. And then the Lord released us to come to this place. It radically changed our lives. We're not the same people before we came. We're different people now. We've been changed because we're part of this community. You see, there's always a waiting before the promise. When you look at the patterns of, of God in God's word, you're going to see a waiting period. Sarah and Abraham, what did they do? They waited for Isaac. Moses and the children of Israel had to wait before they saw and got into the promised land. David had to wait for a long period of time before he became king. There's lots of waiting. Now think about your waiting. Think about the promises that God wants to fulfill in your life. I always ask the question and I want to know what do we do and how do we spend that, that time waiting? What's so important about waiting? What does God want to do in my life? There are three things I know that happen in me when I'm asked to wait. And I want to tell you what those three things are. Number one, during the time of waiting, God clarifies and makes clear my call. 
there's something that he clears up about my call, my mission, my vision in life. He, he forms it. He clarifies it. You see, when God called us here, we were very clear about coming here. We're very clear about being here. Very clear about staying here. It's because of the call of God that we've been able to live out our life as believers with you in this community for 35 years. Do you know we've never, ever been tempted to go anywhere else? Ever. Why? Because of the call of God on our life in this place. Do you know what we would say to those that wanted us to maybe go to other places, to, to be in other places? We would always say this. We're not saying no to you. We're just saying yes to candy. We're not saying no, but we're saying yes to candy because this is where God has us. This is the call of God on our lives. That's what waiting does clarifies your call. Remember that. The second thing it does, it, 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 when we wait, it also strengthens my character. Now, when I wait, how many know that waiting is a, a, a character builder? <laughs> uh, because I, my flesh wants things right away. My flesh wants something now. But waiting is something that God uses to build your character, to strengthen you. Why does he do that? So, so that you'll grow and you'll have the spiritual shoulders to carry the promise to be a good steward of the promise that he's going to fulfill in your life god just doesn't give out his promises willy-nilly he doesn't just give them out in a random way he's very very specific he's very focused when he brings promises to our lives but during that waiting time he says i want to build character in you so you can be a good steward of the promise i want to give you so what does he do during that waiting he clarifies my call he strengthens my character and then he does this. He sharpens my competencies, my gifts. You know, when you wait, you, you, you aren't still. You're still working. You're, you're still doing things. And what it does is it sharpens those gifts that God has given you. That, you, that you're in a place that you can, you can practice those gifts. I, I think about David. I think about David tending the fields of Bethlehem and that he had to sharpen those gifts while he was waiting to become king. What did he learn to do? He learned to kill the lion, the bear. He learned things that he would have never learned if he hadn't waited. His skill sets were honed in. God sharpened him during that time of waiting. I think he might be doing that with some of you. You might even be thinking to yourself, is this waiting stuff really of any good to me? Can it really be used? The answer is yes. Absolutely. It has to do with your call, your character, and your competencies. That's what God is working on. But most important, during the waiting time, he wants to draw you closer to the promise giver. Do you know that there are times that we can get so caught up with the promise we forget about who gave the promise? You see, he wants us to know him. He wants us to draw close to him. I don't think there's a, a greater place, a more intimate place to grow, grow close to Jesus Christ than in those times of waiting. When you're not in the spotlight, when life is seemingly passing you by and you feel somewhat anonymous, there's something that God wants to do there. He wants you to draw closer to him. If you're in a time of waiting, draw close to Jesus Christ. He wants that relationship with you and he wants it to grow. We wait for God's promise because he asked us to wait. 
Because what he has for us, it won't be on our own strength. It won't be on our own intellect. It's not our own ingenuity that will accomplish this. It'll be the power of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that when he was talking to the disciples. He said, guys, you're not going to make it on what you have. You're going to need much more than what you have. You're going to need the power of God's Spirit. Now look at verse 6. Listen to what it says here. I love it. Uh, Then they gathered around him, the disciples, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I love these guys. These guys are so human. They're like, um, they're like grade schoolers trying to keep up with Jesus. They're, they're really scrambling because when you read this passage of Scripture, this is literally asking a question or more like this. It's interrupting a question that isn't related to the subject that's being discussed. Have you ever been in a conversation, you have this intent conversation going on, and someone comes in and they just interject something that sent it in a totally different direction? That's what the disciples are doing here. Jesus is talking to them about going. He's talking to them about waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then they raise their hands and they ask, Ooh, ooh, Jesus, Jesus, can you answer this question? Can you set a date? Can can you tell us a little bit about the kingdom? Can you talk to us about when you're coming again? Jesus, when's this power thing going to happen? Are are you going to set up your kingdom here on earth? Okay, what does that have to do with the conversation? Absolutely nothing. There's zero implications here. They're, They're just interrupting. They're interjecting. And I think of myself, and I'm so thankful for this passage of Scripture because it makes them human and it makes me human. Because I've done this before. I'd like to say it was on occasion, but there have been times in my life I probably repeated interrupting Jesus in a conversation he was having with me. And it wasn't even to the point that I was asking the question. It was just something random. So these guys were far from perfect. They still had some growing to do. This is the part that I really love. Jesus doesn't respond in a scolding way in verse 7 he said he said to them this isn't for you to know the times and the dates the father has set by his own authority he's done this you don't have to worry about that it's a funny interaction guys this isn't for you to know but what is important is this But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus brings them right back. It seems like he's doing that a lot with us today, doesn't it? It seems like we're kind of getting off and we can get off on our little tangents. But he's saying, okay, are you guys done yet? Are you done interrupting? Because I have some things I want you to do, and this is what I want you to do. I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit, and then I want you to take my good news to the world. Begin in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Go to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's really what this is all about. Friends, we can't let ourselves get lost in all the other things that are going on around us. Jesus makes it very clear why we're here. He tells us this is the call that he's put on us. It is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, pay close attention to what Dr. Luke does in verse 8. I found this really interesting. Luke uses verse 8 as his outline or table of contents for the book of Acts, for the rest of the book of Acts. Chapters 1 through 7, be witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what they did. Chapters 8 and 9, witnesses to Judea and Samaria. That's what was happening in those chapters. And then chapter 10 through 28, now be witnesses to the whole world. 
You see, when you read this, there's such an intellect that goes on here. It's a Holy Spirit intellect that is laying out the framework of our call and where we're going to go and what we're going to do. God doesn't leave us void. And here's how it ends, at least in this chapter, the way we're going to end is Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Listen to what it says here. It says, after he said these things, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. <laughs> these are familiar guys to the Gospels as well. And I love the way they come in and they ask a question, just like they did when they showed up in the garden, and they asked Mary, why do you look for the living among the dead? They show up here while these men and women are gazing into the sky. And they say, men and women of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. He's letting them know the way he's going is the way he's coming back. The way he left is the way that he's going to return. So according to these two heavenly beings... His return will be like his leaving. It will be personally. He will come back personally. He'll come back visibly so we can all see him. And he'll come back in a wonderful way that will make a difference in the timeline of history. History will change at this point. He will come back to a precise location. Did you know that? That he's going to come back the very place he left? Where was that? It was the Mount of Olives. Did you know Zechariah the prophet tells us about that? He says, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split into two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and the other half moving south. No small event. When he comes back and his feet touch this planet again, everyone will know. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord through the power of his Holy Spirit. We're on a venture. We're on a journey. And the Holy Spirit is leading us today. Would you bow your heads? Father, we want to thank you today for the good work that you're doing in our lives. And that you have promised us good things. And those good things, Lord Jesus, are to be used to glorify you to bring people to this, the decision of following you, of knowing you. So, Lord, we look to you. You are the author and finisher of our faith. And Father, we ask that our hearts would be intent, watching you, following you, being empowered by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we look forward to the days ahead as your Spirit continues to move in our lives and in the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.